welcome back to the Hamster Book Club. My name is Joe Ford and I am here today with a guest host, Mr. Michael Mills. Hello, Michael. Hello, Joe. Uh, Michael, why are we here today? We're here because we've got a, a much more special actual guest uh, on the podcast today. We had uh, last uh, year we discussed the book uh, Father Time by Lance Parkin, which had a terrific response from listeners, and so we've only got Mr. Lance Parkin himself here. Hello, Lance. Hello. Hi there. How are we doing? Well, how are you doing this evening? I'm okay. I'm 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 I live in Ohio now, so we're in the middle of a kind of snowstorm here. Um, so it's 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 cold and blowy, but um, I'm I'm surviving. So uh, uh, by a mad coincidence, we've just had snow here as well. So it's freezing at both ends. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lars, we're going to make no secret of the fact that we're massive fans. We'll get that out of the way at the beginning. Uh, we absolutely love your books, and we have a number of questions prepared for you today. Um, Michael, would you like to jump in and start talking about the first book? Yeah, well, the first book we're going to talk about, fittingly, your first Doctor Who book, Just War. But before we we get stuck with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna nick Joe's excellent opener question, which is, what's your Doctor Who story? Uh, I'm a lifelong Doctor Who fan. Before I before my first memory, I think my first memory of Doctor Who is the pterodactyl and invasion of dinosaurs. I'd have been three or something. Um, and, my first, and I remember pretty much every every episode since Pyramids of Mars. Lifelong, um, ever since I saw the cave monsters in a market stall, Doctor Who book fan as well. Um, so I'm, I'm a I'm a uh, I'm I'm 52 now, so it's 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 a um, a lifelong commitment at this point. Um, uh, it, it's it's the operating system of my brain, as I think it is for, <laughs> for for quite a lot of Doctor Who fans. I, every every actor that comes on TV has either been in Doctor Who or hasn't been in Doctor Who, and uh, um, you know every everything is sort of judged by those Doctor Who standards. Um, and I'm never. Um, it, it's nice to see now the TV show in a position where um, uh, that kind of. Uh, Faith, I guess, is justified that it, it is the biggest show in the world, and uh, um, it, do, it does feel like that's the right answer. And I think that's the um, that, that's that's my Doctor Who story: is the world is finally aligned with the truth that Doctor Who is the the best thing in it. So, took a long time for us to get here, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I've used this phrase a couple of times about my my career, but um, but I think. Um, Doctor Who fans, reality kind of called our bluff. Um, <laughs> they were like, <laughs> they were like, you think Doctor Who is the greatest thing ever? Okay, we're gonna, we're going to try and uh, make that happen. And uh, and we were like, I think I think I was in, in, a little bit caught out that that the Eccleston series worked so well, and and that um, I, I knew I'd like it, um, and and I was very very prepared to pass on the torch as well. I I, I remember watching Rose and thinking. Um, this is amazing. It's it's not quite for me. It's it's for new. It's for the next generations of me or whatever. And, and good luck to them on that. Um, and then then the end of um, end of the world with um, there was a war and we lost. And I was just like, oh, that's my Doctor Who. <laughs> it's my Doctor Who. And it's been you know, and and it's 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 amazing to me that they the. Um, 
amazing to me that they were able to bring it back for a family on a Saturday night for a kind of audience that was not used to watching science fiction at that point and 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 um make it a show that you would watch that normal people would watch instead of Anton Deck or whatever on the other side. Um and that's the amazing thing that was that that was uh um that's the amazing achievement to me. I mean I I I I was writing Doctor Who books at a point where there were tens of thousands of Doctor Who fans reading them. Um, we were all uh, a, a fairly homogenous bunch, I think it's, it, it's fair to say. Um, and and um, uh, it, it was kind of easy. I was, write, I was writing books by, by people like me, for people like me, um, you know, with the same references. I could throw a quite a mass reference in and no one would need a footnote or anything like that. Um, uh, and, and the absolute challenge of bringing that kind of um, intense kind of fanish love for something to, you know, tens of millions of people around the world, but, but you know, a, a top 10 TV show is, is, is an extraordinary achievement and it's just something that is very, very gratifying. <laughs> Here we are now, 20 years later, and it's still mm. top 10 you know, astonishing. Oh, yeah. Can we can we rewind back then to so the nineties, yeah. Michael? I feel like you should have some Spice Girls mega mix going okay. back as, as, as we do this. I could well. sing. You know? <laughs> well, maybe it's better we don't in that case. Um, so, so I guess in terms of to go all the way back to your first, your first book with Just War, how did that that lifelong love that vanishes? How did that turn into your first commission? I was extraordinarily lucky. And I didn't realize it at the time. I just thought publishing worked in the way that it worked for me this one time. And I'm probably one of a handful of people. Um, they were publishing a Doctor Who book a month at that point. They were about to go to the Missing Adventures and make it two books a month. Um, and I, I realized that there were, you know, 12 slots for these, these Doctor Who books. I was a fan. I was reading them. I was enjoying them. Um, uh, I, was at, um, I was at university at the time. Um, I thought I would send away for the uh, the writer's guide. Um, they sent you a, if you sent them a stamp and an envelope, they would send you back. Um, I think it was like an eight page stapled photocopied set of instructions, basically. Um, and they were uh, welcoming new uh, writers and particularly sort of uh, Doctor Who fan writers, things like that, but it was a, an opportunity for anyone. Um, uh, this is the point where I want to kick myself. So um, anyone um, watching, uh, listening, listen, you know, please just give me a, a virtual kick here. I was 23 years old um, <laughs> and, and I wasn't even the youngest. That's the terrifying thing. <laughs> um, Gareth Roberts was 23. Um, uh, Kate Woman, I think, was like 24, 25. She wasn't uh, much older when she got her first. I think the winner was Daniel Omani. I think Daniel Omani was 19. Wow. Um, uh, I know, and I look at like a 19-year-old now or a 23-year-old now, and it's just like, why are the kids running around <laughs> doing things? Um, <laughs> um, but it, it, we all felt terribly grown up. I don't think we were, you know, felt like that. But, but um, Rebecca Levine, who was my editor, um, uh, she wasn't 30 when she was um, editing my book. Um, it was it was young, uh, enthusiastic um, Doctor Who fans, um, who I think the operative word here, I think Peter Darvill Evans hit on something, which was that we were cheap. 
Um, I, I think, I think, I think hiring a 23 year old dreaded Arthur Hoover uh, was, was probably the most cost effective uh, way of getting uh, 85,000 words out of someone. I think that was probably the, the deep dark secret of the, of the new adventures was that, you know, um, I think I got a thousand quid from, for, for, I mean, advice. I mean, I ended up a little bit more at the end, but um, I think I got a thousand pounds for, for just war. And I, and I, and I, I you know, that's not a huge amount of money for, for you know what work that six months work or whatever it is. Um, yeah, no, I, I I was reading them and enjoying them, and I thought I'll I'll try. Um, I, I've not this is the, this is the bit where I get kicked again. I, I'd not written a huge amount of fiction before. I wasn't into sort of the fan fiction scene um, that was around then. Um, uh, but what I did is I thought, well, I, I've got a couple of ideas for Doctor Who stories, and I'll, I'll try and. Um, Work one of them up, see if I can get it to work. They they wanted three three sample chapters, so they want about ten thousand words or something like that, eight eight ten thousand words something like that, and a, and a synopsis for the rest of the book. Um, uh, and and very quickly I hit on the thing that I think uh, dominated how I, I always looked at the Doctor Who books, which was um, if there's twelve of them a year, then there's opportunity to write, but there's also um, Lots of people coming up with ideas and they're all going to come up with the same ideas if you're not careful we all all of us left to our own devices sort of come up with a something where you know i've got to be very careful because people have done these stories but uh, <laughs> every, everyone sooner or later coming up with a doctor who story will come up with the idea of cybermen in a hospital you know they're, they're all ice warriors uh, war of the worlds but it's uh it's ice warriors you know um uh, uh and um and even if you do that, even if you come up with a, a basic idea, if you come up with, you know, um, you can't do, these days you can't do this with a Doctor You cannot come up with an idea of a, someone, of a Doctor Who story that someone hasn't done. Um, so, you know, this was the early 90s, you know, people were, I don't think it was quite the X-Files actually, but people were looking at like Roswell and Flying Saucers and things like that. Um, and, and I was just trying to think, well, what, what hasn't been done? Um, the, the, the range is nice, is, is sort of big and successful, and they're putting out 12 books a month. They can afford to make a mistake. I thought, you know, <laughs> they, 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 they put out a book by me, and it's a huge mistake that they did that. At least, at least, you know, the, I'm not going to kill Doctor Who. I think, you know, uh, I think with all of these franchises now, I mean, I'd be, I'd, no, no bad Marvel movie or no bad Sherlock Holmes story or whatever is going to kill Marvel or Sherlock Holmes. I mean, I, I thought, I thought Doctor Who's probably going to whatever, whatever I do, I'm not going to be able to like end Doctor Who forever. Um, so I, st I, start, I started thinking about ideas for stories that um, people, other people might not be coming up with. And also then sort of like twisting it a little bit because I don't think you can even come up with like, what, it's gotta be a twist on that original idea. Uh, um, and I think with Doctor Who fans, they're so um, knowledgeable and perceptive and, and um, uh, able to sort of join things up that, that uh, you can't sort of even come up with your second idea. It's got to be like a third or fourth version of that idea. So, so if you go, you know, um, Doctor Who meets the X Files, you, you, every Doctor Who fan can form quite quickly what that might look like. Um, and I think the, the job of a, a Doctor Who writer is to come up with, you know, three or four iterations further down the line, subvert the thing that you think you're going to watch, um, and and um, uh, and. Just wore, um, I had a couple of ideas and and um, and um, uh, because it was a treadmill, I ended up making them. <laughs> but um, but uh, uh, just wore um, started out as as the first thing I thought. Well, what are, what aren't they doing? 
and the, and the most obvious thing from a Doctor Who fan point of view that they weren't doing was that was an historical story with no um, science fiction elements. You know, a Hartnell historical, as we call it. You know, uh, no, 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 um, no science fiction elements beyond you know the fact that there's time travelers and, and and you know an alien wandering around in the story. Um, and then you think, well, what 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 um, what point of history can you do? And I I, I had um, um, I think for historical ones, I. I any gunpowder plot um and i had this sort of quite um brutal idea of a of um a, a, like almost like reservoir dogs that the uh, after the conspiracy after the gunpowder plot um all of the conspirators meet up at a in, this is in real history all of the conspirators meet up in a country house um and they are all uh they all know basically that they are in you know serious trouble the guy Fawkes has been caught and all of that kind of thing <laughs> um, um and, it, and it's basically it's very tense kind of like moment and I, and I thought um this might be a really good idea for a, a Doctor Who story it's sort of like you know you, it, it, it's kind of that reservoir dog setting everyone wants to know if they've been set up everyone wants to know if they, they get away who's got the diamonds whatever um you know and 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 I thought it'd be a nice natural kind of like small scale as well I I, I think I think the other impulse for Doctor Who writers for that first one is to do like, you know, the universe is exploding and Cthulhu is coming in and the Daleks and the Cybermen are going to, you know, um, oh God, I've just defied Flux. Yeah, you, you've um, read that one, have you? <laughs> <laughs> I just described Flux. Your first instinct is to make Flux. Um, but, but I think, what, again, what, what would be different would be, um, uh, what would be different if it would be a smaller scale one, a character-driven thing where you're looking at the Doctor and you're looking at perhaps, um, not the logic of time travel, because I think that falls apart quite quickly. And if you, if you start looking at what the Doctor can and can't do, uh, that falls apart quite quickly. But but you do look at a kind of moral. One of the one of the points of doing a time travel story is you look at the sort of moral of it. If you you know what's going to happen, who do you tell? You know, who do you warn? Who do you help along? You know, you know, um, uh, how can you change things for the better or or ensure things you know, work out the way they're meant to. Um, um, I couldn't quite get the gunpowder thing to work. I, it just didn't quite have a enough of a, um, I, I could I could rationalize it as a Doctor Who story rather than the stage play I went off and wrote about the gunpowder plot, you know, uh, uh, um, and, um, but I, I couldn't get it to work because it didn't quite feel I, I wanted it to be a small scale story, and it just felt a little bit too small. It just felt a little bit like it was um, didn't quite feel like a Doctor Who story. Um, and the other idea I had for historical period was was the Second World War, um, and that's uh, very quickly hits the other problem, which is it's huge. You know, it's a world war, so whereabouts in the world? Um, and I'd always been interested in um, the occupation of the Channel Islands. Um, which is the only part of the, I've got to be careful, British Isles, it's not the United Kingdom, the British Isles that are um, uh, occupied by uh, Germany. And, it, and and the extraordinary thing about that to me was was that it life went on because they, it had no strategic purpose. Um, the, the Channel Islands had no strategic purpose. They weren't a launching pad that were sort of halfway to, to, the, to the mainland or anything like that. Uh, they wouldn't have been a staging post for the uh, for the Allied forces coming in, you know, to liberate France or whatever. Um, so, so Churchill sends a message to the Channel Islands, which is just sort of, you know, just 
stay put. We, we can't we can't liberate you. We're not going to carpet bomb you or whatever. You know, you, you you just you'll be fine. You just you'll need to wait it out. And we don't think we can we can prioritize liberating you. So you have this this very sort of um, very pleasant middle class part of Britain that's occupied by the Nazis for uh, four years, whatever it is. Um, and it's just like this is a Doctor Who story. The, the monsters come in, and they occupy, and and the post office still opens, and the milk is still delivered, oh, and all of that. And I, and I thought this is the this is the Doctor Who story. This is this is this is it. Um, except it's real people, so you know you you don't get the um, uh, uh, the excuse that they are monsters, that they are sort of driven by you know programming or whatever. Um, uh, and I just thought there was a really interesting Doctor Who story to be had. Um, I needed something um, more. I needed something a little bit science fiction in there. So there's this uh, um, uh, stealth bomber being developed, basically. Um, and and uh, that was the kind of science fiction plot. And I, I think um, I love, I, I like the book a lot. Um, it did a lot of things for me, changed my life. Um, I think if I was to have another go at it, I think the stealth bomber stuff at the end um, uh, isn't quite developed enough. It's not quite clear what's um uh what the, what the sort of senior announcers are planning to do with it one of them is um one of them is planning to defect using the stealth bomber basically um and uh but the the immediate you know doctor who science fiction threat is oh no the nazis are going to have a stealth bomber um the doctor and his companions are going to have to stop this uh, and you have the advantage i think that um that uh we know that didn't happen in real life. Um, all the technology that's there uh, existed at the time. Um, and, and the only, uh, the, the thing that really sort of latched on for me was, was all the technology was there. The Nazis could have built a stealth bomber, but they didn't because they didn't know about the radar until quite late. So you don't need to build a plane that evades radar um, uh, until you know that there's radar, until you know that that's what the, the Allies are doing. Um, and from there, you've got a couple of years and you can figure out that if you put the right coating on the planes and you you you, and you smooth off the, the, the hard angles of the planes, the, the radar sort of bounces off it, basically. Um, but the, they, they wouldn't have thought to do it because they didn't, it's a countermeasure for something that they didn't know was there. And so I thought, well, well, how would the Nazis have got like advanced where they were going to build radar? And it's like, I've got a time traveler in my story. The doctor <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> um, Whoops. Told me. Um, <laughs> well, he, doesn't, he doesn't even do it. He's, he, he doesn't even do it himself directly. He's just sort of, he, he's, he, this is the thing. He doesn't go to the Nazis in like 1935 or whatever and say, you'll need to build a stealth bomb. He just accidentally says something that sparks something off mm. in the mind of a, of a German scientist. Um, but that makes it the doctor's kind of problem to solve as well. Um, that 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 the doctor is um, the doctor's made a mess. Basically, he needs to clean it up. Um, uh, and um, very 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 sort of quickly, I got that idea, and and and, um, uh, and just formally in terms of the, like the actual structure of the story, I, I loved Warhead. I loved the Andrew Cartmel book, and I loved the fact that you start with um, Ace already. Um, deep in the story, undercover, and, and um, uh, the Doctor is this sort of presence in the in the um, in the background at first, um, and, and I, um, I I did what you technically call ripped that off for, for just war. I just I just I just the first um, 
the first bit of the book is just, um, I mean, it was originally Ace. It was originally Ace. Um, uh, when I was submitting, the, the, uh, Ace was still in them. Uh, um, I th yeah, Benny was a companion by the time I had submitted. So um, Benny was doing all the, the stuff that um, Roz does in London. Um, and Ace was the one that was in disguise. Um, uh, and that was, I, and, and, and here, here, again, I, I'm very kickable. Um, I sent it in and I did wait a year. It was a year. Um, uh, and I got a phone call from Virgin um, and it was Rebecca Levine. And um, she said, oh, we love Just War. Um, and we've got a problem is uh, that um, we're writing Ace out of the books. Um, and I was like, oh, this whole thing is meant to be like a character <laughs> thing for Ace. I thought the whole the whole idea is it's kind of building on Ace as you know, uh, the Ace you see in the TV show who has uh, 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 she has uh, Muslim friends. She has she's clearly from a sort of um, clearly on the uh, against the uh, the right wing in the 1980s. Uh, so she, here's her chance to sort of go and fight actual Nazis. Um, uh, and I thought, oh, no, I, I wrote a book that's a character piece of um, Ace, and they're going to turn it down because I wrote this book about Ace, and we're not got Ace in it anymore. Um, and, and, and Rebecca said, oh, um, just make it Benny. And I was like, I was, I was so affronted. I was just sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, you don't understand. This is a, a deep character piece on Ace. And she goes, well, yeah, but you don't even know it's Ace in the sample chapter. So you, you, it's, she's, she's deep undercover. So just make it Benice. Just make, make the reveal that it's Benice. <laughs> Do you know, I'm um, ne I never could have told because <laughs> to me. And, 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 and I think the thing for this was it was just incredibly useful this is an incredibly useful formative experience for me because you, you do find, um, as a writer, these things happen all the time. You know, you're writing a book. I, you know, you're writing a book, and suddenly it's a subplot in the in an Avengers movie, or you know, um, it happens in real life, or events are overtaken by by real life. I mean, you, you know, you um, you you've got to have that sort of flexibility. You've got to have, have the adaptability. When I, when I was working on my my TV soap a few years later, I mean, actors. Actors get ill. Actors leave. Actors, you know, um, aren't available. They're, they're, you know, you, you have to suddenly be able to write a story. Um, you have to figure out what the story is actually. What the what the, what the sort of deep story you're trying to say is. Um, and, and I realised I could tell all the same. Um, Ace was there as a as a um, a viewpoint to this Nazi occupation and Benice could do that just as well it was and, and 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 to be honest with you it made a little bit more sense because I think Ace would have been a lot angrier a lot more um able to express her anger um, and blow things up and 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 um she's way more impulsive so um uh having someone having someone like Benny who is more thoughtful and more inclined to observe and, and take a step back and look at it in a kind of like slightly more scholarly way um it it, it, it hit the themes a little bit better actually um in the end she she isn't going to be able to change history she's not going to lob a few nitro nine cans around and, and and solve anything and and benny perhaps understands that better than ace so she's probably a better vehicle for it and Roz is a much better vehicle for what i was trying to do in the in the london stuff than benny would have been so um, no, it all, it all worked out very nicely, but it, but it made me realise very early on that storytelling is a lot about um, 
you have to be able to justify your choices. Um, you have to be able to, um, you can come up with a stupid idea, but you've got to explain why it's, you know, the best stupid idea you've got. You know, you can't, you can't, um, uh, if you can justify it, if you can explain why you're doing it that way and not another way. Um, and if you can answer an editor's questions, it tends to make for a much better book because you are, you're like, you're in control of your material. You are, you're, you're absolutely confident that you're doing it because that's the best way to do it. Um, and Rebecca Levine was, again, I, I commissioning process with books as I've spent 25 years now learning is nothing like that. Um, and editors, I, I've had some really good editors in, 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 in my projects. Rebecca Levine was my first editor and um, transformed the book. Um, just just um, her, her job the whole time, she said it was, was to um, not write the book for me, but to make it the best version of my book that you could possibly make. Um, not to sort of try and write the book she'd have written instead, which it, um, some of my worst editors have tried to do. Um, uh, and, 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 and guided me through that whole process, just sort of, just, just, uh, you know, and, and, and it, it's, it's a coaching, it's like a coaching job, you know, you, 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 you're the one that does the work, but, but you are much more confident that you're landing the things you need to land where you're landing them, you know, you, you, you're much more confident about what you're doing, much more, um, uh, able to do it. And it, it's, it's. Um, it was extraordinary. I mean, it was my first novel. Um, I, I enjoyed writing it a lot for me. I, and, um, but I just felt, I, I was surprised how much more, I, I, thought I, I thought I had a good idea for a book, but I was just surprised how much more there was as, I, as, as, as we developed it. It was, it, was, uh, it was a very, very gratifying process. So uh, interesting to hear you say that about Ace because that makes perfect sense. Her being sort of the main character in that, but it feels like the def one of the definitive Bernice books to me. So I had no idea reading it at <laughs> all that there was another version out there because Bernice feels more vulnerable in some way. So in that situation, it felt more tense having her in it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a torture scene which, in 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 retrospect, yeah. I realise is a lot of it comes from Viva Vendetta. I mean, I I didn't quite realise that until you know later on. Um, but um, the Nazis, you know, like I say, the, the, the Nazis in, in, the, in the Channel Islands did not, they, they committed atrocities, they killed people, they rounded people up, they deported a lot of the men. Um, but, it, but it wasn't a battle zone, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, uh, there weren't, there weren't the sort of atrocities you saw elsewhere in, in, in sort of occupied territory. Um, they needed to do bad stuff in the book, um, and, and the torture scene was always there, and it was always Ace um, originally. I mean, when you, when you say there's a different version of the book out there, it's it's um, there is those three sample chapters which are almost exactly the same, except the the um, Celia isn't it? Celia is an anagram of Ace. It's it's Ace. Uh, the, the idea she's Celia is like it, the word Ace is in there, so Benny ends up using a kind of pseudonym for. There's those three sample chapters which are, are almost exactly the same. There's, there's, I, I, I tidied them up, and I, I, um, Celia is a little bit described as a little bit older than she was in the original version because I think Ace by that point is is meant to be like late twenties, and yeah, Benny was early thirties, so it wasn't a massive difference. But, but, but I think Benny was always more grown up, you know, and I think that was the that was the note. Um, 
so those chapters are almost exactly the same. Um, and then the synopsis is, is I don't even know what it'd be, six, six or seven pages. It's not, not huge. Um, outlining pretty much the same story. There's a little bit more stuff going on. In, there's a little bit more action in London. There's like a motorbike chase in London with um, the Doctor and Ace in a motorbike and a sidecar chasing after Nazis in London, but just never really. I just needed something at the end and I couldn't, you know, that was a bit of action and, and, and it never really worked. And, and uh, But I thought I needed to sort of have something going on at the end that was a little bit more dramatic. Um, so there isn't really another version of the book, but there, 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 there could have been. Um, mm. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it, that's, that's a very strange um, part of the process, is the idea it starts out as one thing and becomes something else. Michael? Well, speaking of reasons that you might be kickable, for your second novel, <laughs> you got to do a multi-doctor story <laughs> with Cold Fusion. I, yeah, I know, kickable. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't think they you know, this was the one where I, I pitched the gunpowder plot on again at this point. Um, and I think I'm right. I'm, 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 I'm not more than a month wrong. Gareth Roberts was writing The Plotters for that mm. one. So they didn't, they didn't know about my gunpowder plot idea. And I thought, I'm going to pitch them my gunpowder plot idea. Um, uh, and and, the, and the, the, the result came back, no, Gareth's writing one. And of course, Gareth wrote this, this um, fast, this fantastic. Yeah, it was really great, wasn't it? <laughs> I, love I, I love The Plotters. It, it, and, it, and it's so much better than the book I'd have written. And, and I'd have written two books in a row where people were being tortured and it was a pure historical. And so, so I'm very, very glad I didn't get to write it. Um, and, I, and I had a like a, this extraordinarily vague idea for another book that was about the last, it was called The Last King of England. And it was it was basically the end of the royal family in like a couple of hundred, you know, a couple of hundred years time. And I never really had a story for it. And it was, the, there was a, a young last, young king with no heirs in a garden with robots looking after him and um and it wasn't a story it was kind of a i don't even know what it was a picture i don't know a, a sort of image um uh and, and they quite rightly pointed out that it wasn't a story it was a kind of vague idea um and, and i pitched this like third mad idea which which i i, I just didn't think they'd take which was um uh the Doctor, two incarnations of the Doctor land on the same planet at the same time. And one of them's at the sort of top of the mountain, and the other one's at the bottom of the mountain. And they pick a side in this war, um, and they both pick different sides. Um, and you end up with basically this battle being fought between two incarnations of the Doctor, and they don't realize that the, the genius behind the <laughs> is in fact them. Um, uh, and that kind of I, it, it makes no sense. The problem, the problem is, you know, it it, uh, it makes no sense because the seventh doctor is going to be like, oh yeah, Peter Davison will stand there. I, I remember. Um, <laughs> but even if you saw hand wave that, um, I, I realized that the the, the um, uh, you could get a bit of corporate synergy. You could have a the missing adventures had started. You could have a fifth doctor, um, young, just regenerated sort of naive and vulnerable and, and is about to lose Adric and that kind of stuff um, versus the Doctor as he'd become in the New Adventures which was this uh, it's overplayed a little bit um, he's never quite as bad as this in the books as, as, as people thought but uh, you know he's a plotter and he's strategic and he's playing this 94 dimensional game of chess you know that he's <laughs> evil in Sedan of Time <laughs> Perfect. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, he, he, he um, uh, 
you know, he, he, he was fighting a sort of big cosmic universes will collapse kind of battle. And the fifth doctor uh, could fight the sort of people on the street being affected by it um, uh, battle. Um, and so you could land on the planet and basically instead of having picking two different sides, you could have two different two different problems, two different Doctor Who problems to solve, which is you have this sort of quite restrictive police state up to something. Um, and um, meanwhile, the Seventh Doctor has discovered these sort of multi-universal villains that need to be, you know, contained. Um, and so you can end up with a couple of bits where the Doctors are thwarting each other. Um, uh, uh, but you, the, the idea of them sort of like, uh, you know, uh, opposed on different sides. It doesn't, you can't work, you can't, it doesn't last long enough for a book. You can't sort of keep that up for a whole book, I don't think, because it, it, I, I think part, part of it is the audience sees the joke and they can see the joke and they've got the joke. And then you just sort of keep telling the joke for another 50,000 words or whatever. I think, I think it, it wouldn't really work. Um, and, and, and I, and I think, um, I, I, Cold Fusion is the one thing I've ever written that I lost control of when I was writing it. It, 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 it. I I know people like the book. I, I'm very, very happy people like the book. And I've been saying for 20, whatever, 25 years now that that, that I would much rather that the audience like the book and the author didn't um, than the other way around, because, you know, that, that is probably the way it's meant to work, um, if, if that's the choice. Um, I just felt like I'd lost control. I thought I was trying to do something much more serious than I was actually trying to do. I thought I was telling stories about the victims of war and, I, and, and that I was doing a sort of allegory for the war in Yugoslavia and you know the United Nations role in the war in Yugoslavia and things like that. And it's like, I wasn't, that was the thing. I, it, was a, it, was a, it was a 2000 AD story. Um, and I love 2000 AD. I, 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 um, I, have intermittently been a huge fan of 2008 in various sort of patches. I'm, I'm on a kick at the moment with 2008, but I, I, I loved it when I was a kid. I loved, um, uh, you know, the, the, but I, what I loved about it was, was you had these, you know, ridiculous robots being kicked around by people and people were always the villains in 2008 stories. <laughs> it, was always, it was always the humes were always the problem. Um, and, and um, uh, but they are very sort of, they're, they're, they're not the kind of, they're not like, they're both satire, but they're not the kind of like, 2000 is, 2000 is great and visceral and wonderful, but it's not often very, it's not thoughtful. It's not what, the, it's, not what it's trying, it's not what it's trying to be. And it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work, work very well for it. I, I can't remember which one of them it is. I think it's Alan Grant. I think it's Alan, it might be John Wagner, who, who says that the, the, the unethical di dilemma for Judge Dredd is headshot or chest shot, <laughs> um, um, uh, and, and I think that's 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 the sort of level of kind of you know that's subtle. That's the subtlety that we're, we're dealing with. Is is, is um, uh, and, and I was writing. I, I realized I was writing this kind of quite cartoonish story, but I was trying to be sort of very. Um, Thoughtful and, and, and you know, I was the guy that just war, so I will now uh, make a make a thing about the war in Yugoslavia. And, and it, it just, it didn't, um, for me, it didn't gel. It, uh, there, there is a ton of stuff going on, and I think what it is is, um, I love stories. I love things where there is so much going on that 
you don't have time to deal with stuff that looks like the big stuff. I think this is the this is the killer app for Star Wars. I think where where you just wander past these six monsters and and they're all from different planets and they all clearly got long histories and you you never find out about them until you know someone writes a, a comic series about them or whatever. Uh, I love Borges. I love um, Borges' stories because he throws away ideas in you know, like a casual. He'll say, he'll say something like, you know, and, and of course, God himself is a kind of labyrinth. And you, you sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a trilogy. That's, a, that's, not a, that's, not a, that's not a throwaway line in a book. That's like, that's a, that's a, a career for a philosophy department, that is. Um, and, 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 um, and, and so I love that kind of, I, I love stories that are so dense that there's just stuff where you just can't stop yourself. It's the, it's the, the, Zucker Abrams Zucker kind of style of, of humor, the sort of police squad airport kind of style of humor as well, where not every single joke is amazing, but there are so many of them that, that you, you, you're sort of always laughing. You know, you, you, you laugh over the next dud one. Um, and and Confusion is a bit like that. There's so much going on that I think that there are things that people can kind of latch on to and like. Uh, I just had this huge problem writing it. The tone was just all over the place. It just seemed to be like, you know, I was beheading people in one scene and making like comedy robot jokes in the next one, and and um, um, and, and uh, uh, I got my chance. The, the Big Finish did an adaptation of it a few years ago, and I, I wrote the script for that. Um, and and I realized that I, I realized what it was. That coming back to it after so so long and just taking the book and trying to figure out. First of all, they wanted a really faithful adaptation. They didn't want me to change anything, and I didn't want to change too much either. Um, uh, but I had to condense it a little bit and you have to kind of think a little bit more about giving actors things to do. I, 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 I do Peter Davison wrong in, in Cold Fusion. I, 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 he, he, he's, he's, not, he's not a very strong character in Cold Fusion. I think he's, he's a victim of a lot of the, the Seventh Doctor's plots and there's a couple of points where he's just a little bit not quite sharp enough to be the Doctor. Um, <laughs> That, that, that Peter Davison actually is. And I thought, well, I, um, I could get away with that in a book that he's never going to read, but if he's going to be reading out my life, <laughs> I, better, I, I better give him a little bit more to do. Better give him a bit more to do. Um, uh, but, but it gave me a chance to kind of go through it and kind of figure out how to make it, how to make myself a little bit happier with it. Mm. Um, and I realised that every single time, every single time I'd had a choice with Cold Fusion, it was a choice between something serious and something funnier or, or, or lighter or, or sillier um, and in the book I'd kind of tossed a coin and sort of sometimes they would show up in a place and it was a there'd been a massacre and there was blood all over the walls and, and you know groaning survivors and all that kind of stuff and, and other times it was um, very silly jokes about Megalos and in-jokes and, <laughs> um, and um, uh, and, and with the big finish version, I just basically picked the the joke every time instead of the played it a little bit more lightly, and, and, and it was it was I guess it's more like it's like it's almost like um, being a director of a <laughs> of a story. You sort of go, I'm gonna I'm gonna tone that down a bit. We're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna sort of bring this together in a little bit more in performance. It's gonna be a little bit lighter than than it might look on the on the screen. And I, and I think um, the um, the audio version just is a little bit sharper, and, and um, it, it, the the downside of getting a twenty four year old or I was at that point twenty five year old at that point to to write novels is you will end up occasionally with the 
the last vestiges of like teenage pretension and, and like you know you know i'm gonna wear a dark jacket and tell you how it really is and you know you know, <laughs> you know it's just like you know what batman would really do <laughs> um and, and you don't you're right at that point where you're kind of you've not quite I think when 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 you are and it's a vital part of the of the development of a fan, but when you're sort of 16, 17, 18, you have to take it extremely seriously. Because that's the point where you're choosing between uh, <laughs> um, that's the point where you're choosing between going out in the evenings or collecting DVDs, I guess. I mean that's the, that's the that's the thing. I mean you you are you are you are you're kind of gonna lean into it. Um, and you have to kind of go, no, this is I remember telling my mother, having a, a, a very stern conversation with my mother about Teen Titans and how Teen Titans, oh, no. Teen Titans comic was actually no incredible piece of craftsmanship and, and, and no the, the storytelling I love and I love the Teen Titans and it's great but you have to take it very seriously no it's not just a comic do you not understand it's not just a comic it points to you know much broader themes and the world and this this art form is so spontaneous and you know and you have to kind of do that with you know and, and and um there's a sort of fear of being silly that you 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 lose mm. mine was uh mine was survival i took my mum through survival and said <laughs> this is a pretty contemporary drama okay it's not a bit of sci-fi tat and she's just sort of... i think i think every one of our you know we are all you know Everyone of let's say the new adventures generation had that experience of like going, no, there was a Dalek one. It was the twenty fifth anniversary one. It was brilliant. It was like <laughs> about the far right. It was like taking a lot of the things that had been said about the Daleks and like putting them in real life. And it was so, oh my god, it was gritty and so well performed. Watch it next week. It's called the Happiness Patrol. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> And, and there comes a point where you watch the Happiness Patrol now, mm. um, and, and 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 to be fair, a lot of people liked it at the time. But uh, uh, you look at it now, and it's like, oh my god, this is this is this is saying extraordinarily important. This is this is mm. that's the one that's closer to it's a sin than yeah, the remembrance yeah, of the dark. For sure, yeah, that's that, that's the one that's that's that sort of got. Um, not extraordinarily complicated um, analogies to what was going on uh, politically at the time um and that was the one that was quite happy to um uh tell a silly story about it which is, is incredibly it's really easy to be dark and grim and and, and um uh you know serious about about these things but to to, to make mark and to 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 um be kind of shoddy about it uh, to, to 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 be that i mean that in a very respectful way i mean it's a to to sort of bring a kind of like um an energy to it where you are you know you, you you can't quite tell the story yet because you're telling the story in 1988 the story is still what what you are trying to what you're being an allegory of is not finished yet it's not or not finished that phase of it yet um you know it is an ongoing story it's a, it's a story now where you look at it and it makes um um it, the, the joke is now you watch it and it's it's a story that makes doctor who in the 80s look like it was a lot more <laughs> daring and political and woke oh my god i just used the word woke. Um, you did you did well done <laughs> <laughs> no but, it, but it's, it's a story that it's just like this was this was a um 
this was the story that was was is doing all of those things at the time, and we were cringing at Bertie Bassett and and, and harmonica playing or whatever. And uh, um, so no, you know, the, 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 again, this is the, the law here: is that Doctor Who will Doctor Who is right. If you don't think Doctor Who is right, you're wrong. You have to kind of adjust your <laughs> <laughs> adjust adjust your mindset until you accept the Doctor Who has got it right. Um, uh, and uh, while that might sound like you're entering a, a lifelong cult. Um, where you've abandoned all critical faculties. That's absolutely not the case. We are, we're as sane as the rest of you. I've got a question for you, and I'm going to need Michael's help <laughs> to help me with the definitions here, because I never quite got my, my finger on them. Do you consider yourself a trad or a rad Doctor Who writer? Michael, will you please define those terms? Well, this was a term, wasn't it, back in the day, the 90s and the noughties. This was the idea of when Doctor Who wasn't on telly. If you're going to do things with Doctor Who, should you try and do stuff that is trad, traditional, and like what was on telly? Or should you try and do something that was rad, man, a more radical department? I, and I think that this was this was a perfectly sensible question. I think that this was a perfectly sensible question to ask at the time. Um, there's always this sense with the original series, even when it's brilliant, that it could be more brilliant, you know, that there, there, there is a sort of iteration of Doctor Who that is not limited by budget, it's not limited by time, which is basically the same thing as budget. Um, you know, you get the best actors in, you get the, you know, you get the, you give, get, get some Disney Plus money, um, you know, you know, you know, um, you know, it'd be great, get Miriam Margulies in to be the, you know, and, <laughs> uh, and um, uh, the idea that you could, you could sort of do Doctor Who Doctor Who had never quite been done justice in the past. So you, you make it like a prestige TV series. It's interesting looking at some of the discussions around the hiatus that the, um, some of the BBC executives do seem to be looking at things like um, the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes and saying, mm. that's actually quite lavish. That's actually quite, um, you know, we want Doctor Who to look a bit more like that. And be a sort of modern, respectable TV show, not this sort of videotaped. Uh, you know, uh, so we've got a best interest of the show at heart. We want it to come back bigger and better than ever. Um, uh, and, and and the other um, the other side of it, the radical side of it, was just like there is no need to remake Terror of Zygons. If you want to watch, especially now, you know, especially you know, this was the point as well. We were getting them all on video. And I was I was seeing these stories, you know, certainly for the first time since they've been on. Um, but um, uh, but seeing some of the Pertwee Trout and Hartnell stories for the very first time, um, and um, I think a lot of us just thought, well, if you want to watch Terror of the Zygons, watch Terror of the Zygons. You know, if you want to read Terror of the Zygons, go and get the book of Terror of the Zygons. I mean, these things exist and they're great. Mm -hmm. um, and, and and there's no need to kind of. Uh, slavishly remake to the format. Um, I, I think I think underlying both ideas was the idea that Doctor Who had not quite been done right. Um, that it never quite been that there was a better way to do it. Um, and, and one of them, one of the arguments was the traditional argument, which is you want to uh, tell very straightforward, simple, solid Doctor Who stories. Um, uh, and, and the other side of it is no, let's go wild. Let's just let's, let's stretch what we can do. Um, let's um, let's go crazy with it. The format can take us anywhere. We can we can meet anyone. We can do anything. And particularly in the books, I mean, there's absolutely no limit to the books. 
Um, and I, the, the tension developed very, very quickly. Um, the, 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 we were all Doctor Who fans. That was the thing. We were all, all of us could. Um, I, I, there's a joke in Just War where the Doctor signs a contract with the Nazis and then pockets the pen. Um, the, uh, this very fancy pen that the Nazi has given him. Um, and that's, a, that's an in-joke to Invasion of Time. Um, and I thought I was the only person on the planet that had spotted the Doctor who had done that. And, and like it came out, and like within three weeks of it coming out, there were like three reviews going, the Invasion of Time reference. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit intrusive that he would, you know. Never underestimate the death of a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> um, but, and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to win this one, am I? I can't, this is, there is no, there is no thing to obscure for someone else to just turn around and go, this is just blatant. Um, <laughs> Uh, so we're all Doctor Who fans, we're all versed in it, we all knew the law, and the question is what were, what were we going to do with that? Were we going to move it along? Um, my, I, I, see, I, I always think I'm rad, and, and um, I always thought I was, I was kind of on the radical side of it. Um, but, I, but I'm very well aware that the, the, the books I ended up um, writing a lot of the time, I mean, um, it'd be very difficult to explain why they're, um, they're these sort of radical things. When you look at what um, other people were doing with the forms of the books. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, what I would, what, what, I mean, if you're writing books, first of all, you've got a whole bunch of tools that you're uh, you know, uh, tools at your disposal that, that, that you never had on TV. Um, all sorts of things you can do with narrative viewpoint and chopping up stories. Um, you are writing for a fan audience that, like I say, knows this stuff. They're going to buy the next one. Um, they bought the last one. They can remember 10 books back. Um, uh, so you can take a lot of stuff that is actually the hardest bit of writing, really, a lot of the time, for, for, um, uh, and, and, and just jump into a story. Um, and, and you already have the Doctor and a companion um, there, so the, the audience is already sympathetic about it. They, they know roughly what the, a Doctor Who story is meant to look like. So right from page one, the Doctor Who story can go wrong. You know, it can, it can, you, can, you can land and, and, and it looks like uh, um, it, it starts like a traditional Doctor Who story, they step out of the TARDIS and they go and straight away they, they fall off the cliff or something like that. And again, it's been done. So you can't, you can't actually come up with an example that hasn't been done there. Um, and um, that that's a great, power as a writer that's a, 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 an amazing enviable um thing I, I i i was doing my master's degree in uh post-colonial post-war british fiction uh when i was writing the, the virgin books um and i was reading all these books i, I loved the english patient I, I read the english page and i think god the other day it came out i loved it um uh and it's just astonishing to me that the the the, the um, a lot of those 90s books that were huge, like publishing sensations, and they came out in, you know, around the time I, I started writing, are, are, are pretty much forgotten unless there was a movie now. Um, but at the same time, I can walk into a, a Doctor Who convention, and, and I had this experience at the Gallifrey Convention in Los Angeles a couple of years ago. A, a, a woman who was a young woman, she, she was a teenage girl, started talking to me about 
Davros and how it related to Father Time and how it, like, I was like, you weren't even born. You weren't even born. And you are like discussing line references. And it's, it's astonishing, amazing. It's an amazing experience. The sort of thing that um, I know Paul Mars, I mean, Paul Mars was writing literary fiction before he was writing Doctor Who stuff. Um, and the lively, engaged, intelligent audience um, isn't the literary fiction crowd that, that sort of wrote really nice reviews of his first book. It's the people saying, Scarlet Empress, you know. Um, and, and, and so That's us, you know. <laughs> well, no, exactly, no, exactly, no. But we, we, no, it's us. I mean, we, we are, I mean, we're, we're engaged fans. We love this. Um, uh, trad versus rad. Um, I don't see that, um, um, I don't see that there is any long-term future in just doing this kind of, what I used to call a, this dates me, a time team uh, reconstruction of a kind of Hinchcliffe story. I just don't, you know, we uh, any any Doctor Who fan can assemble a John Pertwee story where, you know, the Sontarans attack unit or, you know, the Cybermen, you know, the missing John, missing John Pertwee story where he fought the Cybermen or whatever. It, it, it's 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 fine and it's good and there's an audience for it and, and I, I realize as I say this are like six big finishes that do God, that's exactly what I was going <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't going coming soon. Thank you, thank you for being the person I've that said that. Examples. I'm always worried that someone like wrote one for big finish. And they go, <laughs> I wrote that. You, you know. I hate yeah. to say it, they have just announced Unit versus Sontara in the next yeah. month. <laughs> yes. So, um, oh, finally, we'll find out why Steyer doesn't look like Store. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, and that's the thing you can you can do this. I, I think it's. Uh, um, I, I I think it's a diminishing returns exercise. I think it's an exercise, probably. Um, as part of a balanced diet, it's probably a wonderful thing to do. Um, I, um, I am watching Star Trek at the moment. I love Discovery because it is such a chaotic, mad mess that that clearly they set all these plates running and they forgot some of them, and they plates are flying around and they're catching them, and they forgot some plates. And there's, the sound of plates crashing in the background and things like that and they set up stuff they don't pay off and they, they all of this incredible mad stuff because of the way the show started and we're, we're they're just about to start the fight the this fifth season and they're still kind of like i feel like they still them. haven't defined what that show is they change their minds no, every year don't they? <laughs> but it's it does i just find that so refreshing in an era of like the mandalorian where it's, yeah it's, i like the mandalorian i watch the mandalorian i watch it the day it comes on it's great but I, my, my feeling with the Mandalorian is is that Disney gave them like a million surprise points. You know, you can have a you can have a million surprises in your in your show, and they spent them all on Baby Yoda in the first episode, and it's <laughs> an and it's an incredible investment. You know that that moment of like this is not the show. It's, it's Yoda, it's Baby Yoda, um, incredible, amazing. But it means that for like whatever it is now for three seasons and counting that that that. Every episode is exactly the same, and it's linear, and it's like there's no, and it's great. If you want, if you, they, not everything needs to be an amazing sort of Brechtian challenge to neoliberalism or whatever. It, it's fine. It can, it can, um, it, it's entertaining. That's all it's trying to be, and it's great for, for what it does. I, you, as part of the balanced diet, you need to have things that take these 
things that people love and know so well and and play with them a little bit and, and, and deconstruct them a little bit and challenge them and go, well, hang on, what is the moral compass of this? And, and, and there are some very strange moral compasses in Star Trek and Star Wars that are just sort of, you know, unexamined. I mean, the, the, the price of life in the Star Wars universe is just like, you know, they just murder millions of people. The whole thing, they, they blow up, they kill just like so many people all the time. But it's so casual, and people just sort of like two scenes later. I mean, if you there's, there's a Mandalorian episode where they, the husband, uh, I can't remember which around it is, but a spouse gets killed in a in a battle, and and and, and she's basically picked up from moping like two scenes later. Like, Come on, pick us <laughs> up. <laughs> it's like, it's like that, that, I mean, that is, I mean, it's fine, but you need to, at some point, you kind of have to look at that. Um, so I, I, we live in a world where, oh my God, every single, you know, we, it, Generation X, oh God, we should have looked at cancer, shouldn't we? We should have looked at climate change. We should have, we should have, we should have, we'd have solved them all if we'd have just not been campaigning to bring like Firefly back. You know, if, if, <laughs> you know, if we'd spent that energy, like, you know, building electric cars and, 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 going to the moon and stuff, we'd have been unstoppable. But we, you know, we, we wanted a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie and we got to We wanted an actual Hitchhiker's Guide. The challenge was getting the actual Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We all got one of those now as well, so that's good. Um, but um, it, it, it's... The thing with franchises is there's, there's so much of it now. It's cradle to grave stuff. There's, there's, there's room for everyone. You're not... They've not even flooded the Star Wars market which is <laughs> that, that, that looks like a drenched zone if ever was they, they I, I don't think the problem with Marvel is that they the Marvel movies is that they've um, flooded the market there either I think they've got a very um, I think they've got a very different problem there which is that they they've switched to a different set of characters that that, um, that are not as appealing as Iron Man and Thor and whatever and I think you know I don't I don't find it a great mystery why the Eternals didn't do as well as you know Captain America. I think. I think. I think. If you can't, if you can't sell thirty thousand comics, you're you shouldn't be trying to make a billion dollars from from the movie. And I think they got so lucky with Guardians of the Galaxy that I think mm. that they that they they just thought it was easy. And what they were doing was really hard. And they did a really really hard job, really well. And they forgot that. They just thought they were pumping out. You know, that they're in a factory and that they could just keep going. And and, and, it, and that wasn't the thing. So my point is that they're not flooded that. Um, I, I think there is room for both. And I think that when the new adventures and the missing adventures came along, it, there was a much more obvious uh, divide. Um, and um, uh, so we could have Rad on one side and Trad on the other. And that's what sort of Star Trek is discovering that with Discovery and Strange New Worlds. And I much prefer Discovery, I'll put it that way, because it's, it can surprise me and go mad. Let's skip over to the dying days then. Michael. Yeah, so, I mean, the dying days, basically, this is one of the books that I think, you know, we open up to listeners' questions, we talk to people, and this is one of the ones that people really, of your books, really do keep coming back to. And I guess because, it, you know, it, it exists in that slightly odd liminal space of being it's it's the end of the virgin new adventures but it's also the first eighth doctor adventure but it's tying into a reboot that by that point wasn't happening anymore uh with it with paul mcgann how did you even begin to work that one out um 
there, there was a point where we well, I don't know all the inside stuff. There, there, there is going there are going to be accounts. I know David Howe's just um, brought out a, a, a fantastic book about the history of the New Adventures, and I know there are theorists from people that have been have been on both sides of the kind of publishing side of, of, of why Virgin lost their license and how they might have retained it and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, uh, the the TV movie was coming. I, I and I I just benefited immensely from from the TV movie. The the, the TV movie Kate was was coming out when um, uh, Just War was um, on its way, and then uh, no, Just War had been published. Then there was the TV movie. The History of the Universe came out, and then Cold Fusion in the same year, and the books just sold shed loads that year. They were just they did so well that year, and I was like the the new boy from <laughs> who was writing these things. So, so I was the one that had still got some ideas and, and you know, you know, still, still fresh to the fight and, you know, hadn't, hadn't written three or four of them already. Um, uh, and I was just sort of caught up in this thing. Um, uh, I think they were, I mean, a lot of why, why they did an eight doctor book is, is, is cause they could, um, they had time to do it. Um, uh, they had no, uh, contractual restrictions against doing it or anything like that um, and I wouldn't be astonished if people at Virgin were a little bit kind of like we're going to spoil the BBC <laughs> <laughs> um, I, would. I mean I, I was never in that kind of I, I, I was never I mean I was looking to work for the BBC as well yeah. <laughs> I don't want to burn any bridges but I uh, um I, I like the new adventures. I didn't want the new adventures to end. I, I they weren't going to end. They were going to be Benny's stories, but that wasn't quite ever going to be the same thing. And, and um, uh, I did kind of um, when it was a when it was a TV show that the BBC were going to make and embrace, and it was going to be the cover of the Radio Times, and ten million people were going to watch it. It was it was it was like okay, new adventures have to end. We have to bring out books that are. You know, you, you can't make jokes about Vardens in books about, you know, this is how far we've come, because of course you can make jokes about Vardens in Christmas specials now. <laughs> and 15 million people go, ah! <laughs> um, um, but it, it's, um, uh, at that point, I thought, okay, the BBC are going to bring it in the house, they're going to do it, they're going to, and they're going to be mainstream trad, I guess, books. They're going to be books that sort of reintroduce it to a, a broader audience. So we're not going to get away with all of this stuff that we've been <laughs> getting away with. Um, but I liked it and it was good. And um, so I, I wanted to write a book that was a kind of like uh, celebration of the new adventures without going too kind of like deep in the weeds. Um, I, one of the things with the, the dying days was, was it had to be written really quickly. Um, I, um, and, and it had to be written by me because everyone else was writing a book. Uh, Mark was doing London, Paul Connell was doing the first, Benny one, Matt Jones was doing the second, I think. Um, Justin was doing one of them as well. He was, he did the second one, I think. Um, Kate, um, Kate and John, um, Kate Orman was writing like three. I think she was, uh, she was, she was finishing off the room with no doors. Um, uh, I, I don't know. She was uh, doing vampire science, and she was doing um, 
so far as I was saying, she was finishing mm. there. Finishing. Oh, sorry, do my bunny ears? You can't see. Uh, uh, <laughs> she, was, she was writing so far as in. So she was she was off the table for that. Terence was doing the eighth doctors, um, and he worked down the list. Andy Lane, you know, all these people were writing something else at that point. Um, so at some level, I was the only person who hadn't actually got a job at that point. I just I was finishing off Cold Fusion, so I I I, I didn't have any work. Um, they needed it really quickly, which limited it for some other people as well. I was I was um, able to um, uh, I, I'm a full time writer, so I could I could I could write it very quickly, um, and that dictated pretty much everything. I I I, I had an idea at some point um, for a missing adventure that was a sort of Tom Clancy style John Pertwee Martian invasion story, um, uh, and. Um, it could have worked, but it was just, I, I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy that, um, that can tell you the difference between, you know, assault rifles and whatever, or the ammunition they should have been using or anything like that. Um, and um, I, I could never have done that sort of techno thriller kind of version. I think there's a story there that you could do a massive, wonderful 900 page Doctor Who story that was about like a military response to uh, Alien invasion. I think you could do it with a Doctor Who. It would it would work well. And I'm just not that. I'm not a person to write it. And that was a story called Cold War. Um, and uh, it was at, at at heart, it was just very simple. There is a giant flying saucer over London. The Martians land and take over. Story. They what what would they do? Um, and um, I think uh, Rebecca Levine and I Bex were we, we we just sat down and we were just sort of brainstorming ideas we could do and how can we finish this range and how can we kind of like tell a story that hadn't been told before and but, but sort of celebrate what what we'd done. The, the the main brief that was that Benny had to be a, you know a central character to the story. Benny had to sort of start with Benny and end with Benny and have lots of Benny in the middle because Benny was going to be the 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 main character of the new adventures moving forward. Um, and, and I think one of us or both of us, we sort of looked at each other at one point because we could kill the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one chance to kill the doctor. Uh, um, and um, uh, that got reported in SFX, like the next issue of F FX was uh, was um, they didn't plan to kill the doctor in their final story, um, and, and, and like no one else was in the room, and, and <laughs> Rebecca, didn't, Rebecca didn't leak it, and I didn't leak it, and I was like, how did they? How did they? It was never the plan to kill the doctor. It was always the plan to make it look like we killed the doctor, but it was never the plan to kill the doctor. And, and um, obviously, we'd have spread the misinformation that you know, yeah, he definitely died. He's not going to come back. You know, but when has the doctor died and come back? And it's never happened. Um, so. Uh, um, uh, but it was a, it, it, it doesn't write itself because books are difficult to write but it was um, quite straightforward at that point we, we sat down and we realised that there had never in the history of like 90 whatever it was 95 is it in the end Virgin Doctor Who books had we ever done a story in which aliens invade contemporary England <laughs> and we were like, <laughs> and we were like 
we've done stories where like theater characters have come to life and like <laughs> it started with Gilgamesh I mean how do you how do you how do you manage to do 95 how do you manage to sit down and go like we better we better not copy you know how do you how do you never do a story where like a big spaceship comes down and goes hey we're conquering earth and, and um uh and at that point it was like inevitable that we did that because so like we managed to somehow managed to not do this story let's do it let's do it in new adventure style let's let's um uh, get the brigadier in we had the brigadier in a, a couple of things it was it most recently i think happy endings mm. um so the brigadier had shown up a couple of times as a as a character who'd, who'd shown up in the various versions of the books um and we liked him um and there was the thing at the time nicholas courtney was the only actor who had worked with every doctor um uh um, so it becomes universal guys for it as simple as simple story as you can and and you kill the doctor in the middle and Benny is the kind of viewpoint character from a lot of the book um, um, and it didn't write itself but I did write 15,000 words the first day <laughs> I had six weeks to, I had six weeks to write the book um, and, and I think the I, I must have been I, I don't think I went out to London it must have been a phone call we kind of thrashed out the the sort of I, there was never a synopsis. There was never anything like that, as far as I remember. There might have been a two-page. There must have been something because the BBC always had to approve the, the thing, but it must have been like a two-page. Um, the Doctor and some Ice Warriors have a fight, kind of synopsis. Um, and the doc, um, they always end the, the synopsis for all the Doctor Who books always. Because the writers could never figure out how to end their books, they always end using his ingenuity. The doctor somehow saves the day. <laughs> <laughs> I just furiously writing like, I don't know how to end this book, but, but I want oh, <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> commission me and I'll figure it out. Yeah, send me a check and I'll figure it out. Um, uh, and, and I had to write it, and it had to be like done, done in six weeks. I had to um, get the whole thing in in six weeks, um, and it's possible um and it's possible if you are you have to be really really sure about what you're doing you have to be really really sure about what your story is you have to be have a quite a simple story that's got very distinct kind of acts i think the 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 dying days you, you could break up the dying days very easily into chapters and go this is a you know this is an episode of a of a streaming show or whatever, it's, or whatever it is, it's the, each one is a sort of distinct unit, and and each one is um, uh, moves the story along in a very kind of like straightforward way, um, and uh, the all of the the play that I like, all of the kind of like um, weird, crinkly, you know, crinkly stuff that makes the story. That was, it was it was all, all the relationship between Eighth Doctor and Benny. Because I think Benny is a Benny. I I love writing for Benny. I don't know what it is about Benny, but Benny is so so easy to write for. Just so she's smart, but also sort of needs to know answers to things. But she's adventurous. But she's also like not like in any sense superhuman or anything like that. So she's 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 she is she is a very a very clear kind of audience identification figure in that. You know, she's she's kind of. 
she's kind of into it, but you know, is there not like a better way where she doesn't get quite as cold and it's a bit easier? And you know, is there not like a, a button they could press that could do this instead of instead of all this hard work? You know? um, and and um, so Benny was really easy to write. Um, I I spent. I mean, I think by that point. It, we were all terminally online already, the authors, and I think Kate Orman and I had spent, you know, thousands of, you know, hours at that point figuring out who the eighth doctor was. Because the, the the TV the TV the, the thing that was astonishing is the TV movie gave us no clues on that. <laughs> no, no, you go back and I, I I this is incredibly arrogant, but I am an incredibly arrogant person. So hey, I, 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 I there are times where people have said things like the eighth doctor's character. You know, it was developed right from the beginning where I felt like going, thanks. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, it's not in the TV movie at all. Um, and Kate and John were writing the vampire science book. Um, and they were figuring out a lot of what the Eighth Doctor was going to be like in the Eighth Doctor books. Um, uh, and so we were able to kind of, uh, throw ideas at each other, coordinate, come up with sort of ideas that we were coming coming up with. I mean, a lot of it is defined against the Sylvester McCoy plotter doctor, the idea that this doctor knows everything. And it's, so so the, the eighth doctor starts out far more kind of spontaneous and bouncy and full of life and and, and um uh constantly kind of improvising everything. Um, in a way that the Seventh Doctor couldn't improvise anything at all. The Seventh Doctor could be like, you know, I'm going to plot and scheme in a way that looks like I'm improvising. And, and, <laughs> and um, uh, um, so that was the sort of main note, and that made it quite, um, uh, that, that was sort of a nice, clear enough distinction. And, 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 the, and the Eighth Doctor is sexy in a way, but the, you know, I'm, forgive me, Sylvester McCoy, but, you know. <laughs> the, the, the Eighth Doctor is sexy in a way that the previous Doctors hadn't been, and it wasn't, it wasn't just the, the fact he was going around kissing and stuff. It, there is, that he's clearly aiming at a different, my God, that sounds so old-fashioned now, because it's just like, we're so used to this news show where, <laughs> you know, you always, always have to explain to people that, you know, no, the Doctors, there were companions the Doctor didn't want to kiss and settle down with. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you know, because there was I was going to ask you what happened after Bernie Summerfield threw him on a bed and snogged him, um, and then we cut very quickly away from that scene. Pretty, pretty much everything that we, you know, pretty much, I, my my version has always been pretty much everything that, you, you know, you can possibly imagine happened. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you don't want to say that to uh, me, honestly. I, 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 <laughs> I, I think that there's because there was some like there's like I think Matt Jones uh, beyond the sun I think there's a line um, beyond the sun there's a line where it's like um, Benny had not had sex for three years and it was very clearly kind of like you know they didn't it's <laughs> 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 like oh yeah they did they definitely <laughs> oh wow yeah the, 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 you know you know um, oh no they uh, oh no they didn't is um was delayed by two months because they were just like at it. We couldn't get we couldn't prize them apart. <laughs> Many books had to be delayed, you know. Um I I I I mean I um I think with a lot of things you leave um trapdoors for the audience that they can escape out of escape escape emergency exits. If people um, I, with, with a lot of the Doctor stuff, I have the Doctor's wife in Cold Fusion, and it's the Doctor's wife. They were married, 
and they had kids and they lived in a house and I sound so boring and heteronormative when I say this um but 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 that, that was who it was the doctor got married to this person and they had kids and grandkids and that's who Patience is in confusion she is the doctor's wife they were married ha ha look wedding rings you know um uh but I appreciate that, that, that that's too big for me to go in a book, I did this thing. It, it's it's always couched in a way that if you want to be able to turn around and say that that was a um, a reincarnation of a previous time lord, or a you know a Morbius doctor, or a, a, a you know a dream sequence, or whatever it is, you you, you know you, there's got to be a way out for that sort of big stuff. Mainly because some some git will come along in five years and change it and decanonize your book. I don't want that. So. Uh, so, so, uh, um, uh, but no, I mean, I, I, I think um, uh, they didn't quite let me do it in the end. They, 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 I, there was never going to be like penetrative sex at, at the end of, 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 of the dying days. Um, but but, but um, there is a, there is, there was going to, I don't know if this is going to like completely destroy your podcast rankings, but I'm bleeped if, if it is. There was going to be a point where at the end, where the doctor drops Benny off at the beginning of the, uh, uh, of the, the Benny New Adventures, basically. Um, there was going to be a line where Benny, said, Benny looks and it's raining and it's dismal and she realises that she's like, this is where she's going to be spending the next few years of her life at least. And, and the line was, uh, fuck but said Benny because she finally could. Um, and, <laughs> um, and, uh, and, uh, and that was about the only thing that changed from the edit. Because, oh, uh, what Rebecca, a shame! I, I, think, I know Rebecca sent me a, a note back going, "Not quite yet," you know. <laughs> <laughs> Three more pages and you're fine, but not quite yet. Um, uh, but no, I mean, uh, my ending for that was was that I, I, I've, I, I've actually come. I, you, I'm a contrarian. I'm a. I'm a. I will argue with you know. I, keep me talking long enough, and I, I know I talk long enough. But keep me talking long enough, and I, you're going to convince me Doctor is terrible, and I'll be like, I'm not sure ever. Why are you running a podcast on Doctor? Um, but I, 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 nowadays, I kind of see the argument for an asexual Doctor. I think we we, we have um, when you when you look at the way that sexuality is discussed. I, I grew up in the eighties. You were you were straight or you were gay and there were like four bisexuals and that was basically how, how I think every school kid in Britain kind of modeled the world was that was that, that there was no gender fluidity or or, or anything like that. I, I think we had a um, an extraordinarily rigid a, a world where I sort of we had 404 errors and our brains crashed because boy George came along and it was just like this is what's what's going on um, and and um, and and the world today, thankfully, is just like one where we can encompass, you know, different definitions and fluidities and, and non-binaries and things like that. And part of that is asexuality, um, in a way that is much more, um, you know, it isn't, you know, asexuality. It's not just for medieval monks anymore. It's it's um, and, and 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 Doctor has managed to do at the exact moment where asexuality is a thing. Uh, you know, it's finally something people can talk about and express. Doctor has managed to be like, oh, oh yeah, he's in it again. Oh yeah, he's married to Marilyn Monroe. Oh yeah, he's going to get one. And the twist is now he doesn't give his companion one. You know, it's like it's it's like it's like you know, I'm not going to what. Um, and it, and it's 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 um, um, sorry. I just every so often, 
I, I, we're talking about like 1996 Doctor Who, and I just remembered that like like two months ago on TV, you have Bonnie Langford lusting after Shuti Gatwa on <laughs> national television, and David Tennant turning around and saying, "Not now, Mel. We've got to fight the Celestial Toy Maker." And Kate Lovett-Stewart going, "Yes, Mel, concentrate. You work best now." <laughs> what and, a time to think, be alive! <laughs> think, what the hell? This is this is like. This is every so often I'm you know you know every so often I'm Sam Tyler, going I'm in a coma. <laughs> the universe is sending me signals that this cannot possibly be real. That there cannot be like oh Donald Trump's president is he? Oh, well, okay. <laughs> you know, it's just like it's just like yeah it, it, it's it's every yeah sorry every so Mel was just enough to shoot out on national. Yeah, my point was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, whatever it was, like uh, 30 years, 35 years of Doctor Who being like asexual and it not being that kind of show and things like that. I, I, I the, the movie, the TV movie, the McGann movie has like a kiss and it's a passionate kiss. And immediately you have fanzine articles going, caught in the, I think, isn't this in the Gary Russell novelization? Caught in the, Spirit of the moment, the doctor gets carried away and accidentally kisses his face. Um, <laughs> I like the sort of denial that you have that you know the doctor might have kissed someone. And it's like, do you, remember third, the, you know, do you remember the line in Terror Six's Eight Doctors on the first page? He goes, I, I just had an adventure in San Francisco, it was full of mad, illogical events, <laughs> and we know what he was talking about there. No, no, but that was the joke. That was the thing that, that I think that was the killer app of the, the new adventures. We we read them. <laughs> All of the people writing them read them, and and we read them in advance. We were reading them. We were like throwing ideas to each other, but we were fans of the books and we loved them. But they were also points where it was just like this is infuriating. How dare you say that in a Doctor Who book? So you'd get the chance. Your next Doctor Who book, you'd be like, you know, shut up about fat women. You're wrong. <laughs> you know, <laughs> 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 you know? Uh, but it would be like it would be it would be like. Whatever it was, there would be something where someone would say something we'd object to, and it would be like, that is, you know, the doctor would be like, in my previous incarnation, I did once say something stupid about Winston <laughs> Churchill. I fully <laughs> tracked now. <laughs> and um, we just sort of argue with each other. And that was part of the the appeal, I think, was that we were we were sort of like it was we were um we we were we were we were you were reading them every month. The readers were reading them every month, so it just felt like an absolute like disgrace if the writers weren't as well. You know, I mean, it was uh, um, we should be reading them and enjoying them as well. If we weren't, we we're doing something wrong. You know? So, but no, I mean, I, I just felt with the, the Eighth Doctor, the other thing was that you have this sort of genie out the bottle with the, the Eighth Doctor, which is that you know he's he's not asexual. He's not the, the you know he is not that. Um, Grace is. I mean, the, the big revolution is Grace is not asexual. Either. Grace is um, mm. living with someone. She's um, uh, running around in a very interesting corset dress. She's um, uh, she's she is presented as someone that is a you know a, a grown sexually active woman. You know, to that and, and and none of the companions. I mean, fan fiction aside or whatever, you know. The companions are not presented that way either. They they sort of you know hold hands with someone in the last episode and go <laughs> off with them. And that, that's the full that's the full extent of like their you know give or take. You know you have you have like occasional you have Joe Grant or Perry or whatever occasionally having some kind of like um, um, some sort of nod towards that. But but the, the, the companions were not exactly like 
you know, um, it, it was a different show. The, the logic was different. Um, no, I mean, for the dying day, I, I just thought it's um, Benny could and um, Benny would, and um, you have the opportunity, I think. Um, you end up in all sorts of philosophical... You, you end up with a very... With Doctor Who, you very quickly end up with the kind of problem that, like, is this the same Doctor that also? Um, there's a there's a Christopher Eccleston interview where he suddenly realises he's also Sylvester McCoy. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, he, and he's like, I'm Sylvester... Wait, I'm playing the same... I am not just the same... Like, I'm not, like, playing Hamlet, like, you know, in his day, you know, in McKellen or Patrick Stewart or you know, David Warner or whatever played Hamlet. I'm literally playing the same Hamlet. <laughs> it's, it's like I'm meant to be like a slightly, a slightly older Sylvester McCoy. And, it, and, it, and, 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 and you can't, there are, there are things you just can't think massively too hard about. Like, I, I don't think that um, Benny was like secretly attracted to like the, the doctor, the seventh doctor and that was what she was sort of harboring for all those years. Um, I, I think that um, it was a sort of um, a new situation and a new sort of instinct that she had. And I think that um, her one opportunity too, or whatever, or their, their one opportunity too. Um, uh, and, and I just didn't, I, I, I knew it was a, you, you, you write these things and you go, I just the the, the is a long one as well. It's like ninety five thousand, hundred thousand words, and I just I just wrote a hundred thousand words, and it's literally every single thing that I'm going to be answering at the end of time. Is <laughs> you know, oh, there were ice warriors in it. I remember now there were ice there were ice warriors in it. Right, I remember that as well. Uh, you know, and and it's and I, and it's just like I don't. Um, I mean, it's I'm, you know, better to be talked about than not being talked about, but 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 um. I I I think it's uh, I mean for for my money I think they did I think they unambiguously and did um, both of them were um, enthusiastic and willing partners in this process and um, uh, yeah so there you go I think we can uh, but I, I, but I, say... I think... I'm sorry. Oh, well, that's a tipping point between the classic series and the new series then because you know as you said there's a pattern of behaviour after I've, that. I've, I've said this I I, I think. Um, one of the things that um, was was shocking about the new series coming back, the Ross Davis series, was was it was like he sat, like those of us who wrote the books, it was like we were sitting in exam, and then Russell Davis came along and he sat down and goes, "Here's your here's the answers, <laughs> <laughs> here's the answers to the test you've been setting." You know, you you wrote a three hundred thousand word essay about about Nazis and the Fifth Doctor and the Seventh Doctor meeting each other, and here's here's how you do Doctor Who for the for the you know post Buffy, post Twin Peaks, post you know DVD era kind of um, audience. Um, uh, no, but it is. It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that um, Paul Cornell. I mean, you know, Russell wrote one. I mean, um, the, the, a lot of the people writing those early TV stories had written New Adventures, um, and. Um, Russell wrote uh, wrote one of them. He read them. Um, I'm credited in the damage in, in damaged goods. I'm, I'm, it's like my claim to fame now. I, it's like it's like Paul Cornell. I can't remember who it is. It's Paul Cornell, Mark Gettys, Paul Abbott, 
um, me. <laughs> 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 it's, 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 it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's the, the, thank you to the creator of Shameless and also Lance Parkin who sent me the audio tape of Tom Baker reading The State of Decay, <laughs> um, which is my, my contribution. He, he phoned me up. It's like the one time I've met him like a couple of times um, aeons ago. Um, yeah. Uh, Doctor Who conventions in the nineties and stuff. Been like twice, three times. The only time I got phoned up was it was like uh, Rebecca says you, you can tell me all about vampires in Doctor Who. Um, like, <laughs> okay, well, what are, what are they like in State of Decay? And I was like, they have cloaks and they live in a castle <laughs> and they like. At one point, Romana is sort of laid out and they're going to sort of like drink blood from her neck. Um, and and they were, and he was like, oh, is that it? And and I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, I, I, obviously I remember State of Decay. I thought there was more to it. And I was like, well, they, they fought the Time Lords. Yeah, 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 they fought, I remember that. And I was like, well, that's, that's the, and, and so in the end it was just like, um, oh, Tom Baker did a really good audio book on it. He won't tell you anything about vampires. It's just quite entertaining. He goes, well, have you got a copy? I said, I'll make you a copy. So like, <laughs> my, oh, my, contribution to the, my contribution to the world of Doctor Who, my main contribution was that I sent an audio, I made a copy of an audio cassette of the State of Decay. So. Thank you.